love God, get excited. You could tell that this evening and that choir singing and the, the Kendrick family that just sang. Verse 43, it says, Why do you not understand my speech, even because you cannot hear my word? Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. Which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words. You therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. Let's pray. Father, would you help me this evening uh, and use me to help these people? I thank you for safety getting down here. I thank you for the fellowship we've already enjoyed. I thank you for the privilege of getting to stand behind this pulpit this evening and to be in this meeting this week. I pray, Father God, that you would use these thoughts and these truths to help some folks. And I pray, Lord God, that you would just bless the services as you already have. Thank you for being good to us. Thank you for salvation through the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 44 makes his classic statement about our adversary, the devil. He says he is a liar and the father of it. Uh, liar, that's what he is. He's the father of it. He is talking about the fact that these men who are embracing his lies because they're unbelievers and rejecting the truth. If you reject the truth, you're embracing a lie. And right here, Jesus Christ makes this statement about our adversary. And I want to ask you a question tonight. You don't have to answer out loud, but does it matter what you believe? Uh, does it matter what you assume is correct? Because here's the thing is, the answer is yes, because your belief will affect your behavior. And if you don't believe that is so, um, think about over the last year, a lot of, there's been a lot of information put out in front of us. We've had a lot of information coming from a lot of different folks. And if you don't think that that information, all I'm going to say is this, I'm, I'm not here to preach about, I don't care about what's been going on. I'm, I'm concerned about what the Bible's got to say. But I, I will say this, just as for illustration's sake, in the introduction of this message, uh, what people believe affects their behavior. And if you should be able to see that by now, everywhere you go, there's some interesting behavior. Uh, I felt like a compromiser tonight because I wanted to, I walked in, wanted to check in. So I brought a face wrap and threw it up over my nose. And Brother Logan walks in, standing there without anything looking at me. I said, I'm not doing this because I'm afraid of getting COVID. I'm holding the place up. Hang on, Brother Logan. <laughs> no, the truth of the matter is, though, everywhere you go, uh, things are going on and people are behaving in ways because they have believed something. And all I'm saying is, I can't say that I believe everything I've been told over the last 12 or 13 months. But nevertheless, what true or false, what people believe will affect their behavior. Just ask the folks that lived during Hitler's reign in Germany. He had a propaganda machine. His, one of his classic quotes uh, was, if you tell a lie long enough, it will become accepted as the truth. Uh, too many argue right here. Uh, I want to bring up a, a touchy subject, but don't get nervous on me. People argue. I've heard the argument. People have asked me the question, Preacher, do you believe that a Christian uh, can be possessed of the devil? And I would uh, say outright that no, you cannot when the Holy Ghost lives on the inside. But listen, that's really a moot point. That's right. That's right. Stay with me. That's a moot point. You say, why? Because if he can get in your head, he doesn't have to get in your body. 
He just got to get you thinking the way he wants you to think. And as soon as he's got in your mind, he's going to, and it affects your belief. If you accept one of his crafty, subtle lies, he's not going to come and say, hey, I'm fixing to lie to you. So you're going to get ready and challenge me on this. No, he comes, he comes, listen, uh, Eve in the garden said, this tree's good for food. It's desired to make one wise. It's pleasant to my eyes. He came subtly to her. And his lies are always uh, putting, he puts a veneer on them and he feeds them to Christians. And I'm convinced this, I believe this, that many are in bondage and don't even know they're in bondage. Not because they've got an unclean spirit that has taken hold of them and is possessing them. Uh, That's not the point. I'm not into that theology. I'm just saying this, that if he can get a stronghold in your mind, he got you. He's got you. In fact, I find in the Bible that word stronghold, that's a military term. We are in a fight, right? I mean, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. But what do we wrestle against? We wrestle against things that are invisible in an invisible world, right? And the truth of the matter is the Bible says that we're to take every thought, take hold of it, and we're to take every thought and bring it into obedience to Jesus Christ. Why would God tell us something like that? Because many times Christians have strongholds in their head. And I'll tell you what that is. That's uh, Listen, in the uh, Civil War and the times I've read about those things, there can be two armies that are facing each other and the battle is still raging. But one army is handicapped because the enemy, uh, uh, the opposing army has gotten a stronghold in their territory. The Bible does say, Paul said this in Ephesians 4, neither give place to the devil. So it's possible to give place to him. It's possible to have strongholds in your thinking that has got you in bondage. And so if he can get in your mind, he can get a hold of your behavior. And listen, in, I believe it's 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, it says, know this, that uh, in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith. That sounds like people that would, we would be hanging out with because if they're departing from the faith, that means they've been a part of it. It says they shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits. How can you give heed to something you haven't heard from? You, the only way you can give heed, that means to obey. You can only obey if you've been given some instructions on what to obey. So I don't know how it all works. I just know that the devil is still a liar. He's a father of it. And he is always looking to get a stronghold in your mind. And listen, there's a lot of people that have fallen prey to his ministry. And listen, uh, that's the, the message is Lucifer's ministry to the saints. Do you know he's got a ministry for us? Most people want their ministry noticed. He doesn't want his noticed. He's just fine to stay in the shadows. He doesn't want any attention. That's just fine. Just let him do his ministry. And most of the time he does. You say, what is his ministry? Well, you know, in Genesis 3 at the beginning, what his ministry was, the Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 2 about that encounter with the first two people in the world, uh, Adam and Eve there in Genesis 3, that he came and he deceived the woman. That's deception. And then at the end of the Bible, in chapter 20 of the book of Revelation, when he is allowed out of the pit, it it says that he comes out and it says, and the devil that deceived them, talking about the nations. So in the beginning of the Bible, at the end of the Bible, we find out that he has a ministry. It is a ministry of deception. And so how do you deceive someone? You lie to them. 
And the Lord tells us plainly right here. I mean, how plain can it be? He said, this man, he goes, he was a liar. He is a liar from the beginning and he is the father of it. And so listen, most people don't want their ministries noticed uh, or want their ministries noticed. And you get in trouble as a pastor if you don't recognize their ministry. But the devil is very humble and he doesn't want to be noticed. Don't worry about me. And most people think, amen, that he's not messing with them. But the truth of the matter is he's a liar and he's looking to deceive you and maybe he has. Now here's the question. What, how does he do it? Uh, how does he go about deceiving us? I mean, how do you fight a lie? You fight a lie with the truth. And you got to lay hold of the truth in order to fight error. So let me give you three areas tonight quickly that the devil deceives Christians in his ministry, because he is concerned. He's, he's got the unbelieving world blinded. So he's got them where he wants them, but he's concerned about this crowd that's in here tonight. He wants to get in your mind and he wants to get you confused and he wants to deceive you because if he can get in your head, he can control your behavior. I'd say number one, his ministry of deception is seen in temptation. That's his lies about sin. Our adversary lies to us about sin and its consequences. You know, I've heard of a story of a, a man, I, I forget what the company was, but they were having trouble in this factory with rats. So they started setting traps for these big rats and they would kill them and it was a bloody kill, I guess. You know, Peter wasn't on the scene back then. And uh, they would trap these rats, very inhumane. I saw something the other day, I was amazed they had mouse traps that were humane mouse traps. I'm like, when did anybody worry about if this mouse is in pain? I just want him gone. You're trespassing. Another neck just broke. Amen. I don't, I'll sleep like a baby. I don't mind. In fact, that gives me something to count when I'm going to bed. They're just getting their necks broke all over the house. Amen. Hallelujah. I don't care if they're in pain or not. But they got these rat traps and they would catch them and they said they would have to take the rat trap and they would have to clean the blood off that trap completely because a rat would never, a second rat would not get caught in that trap if it smelled blood and knew that a rat previously had been ensnared. But you know what? I heard a preacher say one time, he says, the devil has never had to clean one of his traps. If one, one thing men never learn from history is that men never learn from history. And he does the same things. And when it comes to temptation, uh, he, he knows how to deceive us. He goes after young people. It doesn't matter middle age or old. He'll come after you and tempt you to sin and to act independently of God. And he always says, this would be good. This is, you're the exception, of course. And as soon as God says, don't do this, what do we get interested in? Well, why can't we do that? We are all around the church there on Bluegrass Pike in Danville. Uh, there's a it's a 400 acre farm, and the church has part of the property there. Well, they the family recently here a couple years ago sold that farm to a, a big farming outfit, the Peterson. Uh, they they grow hemp, so there's hemp fields all around the church. You know, when we were having that parking lot church last year for a while, I mean there was people shouting and waving their hands. I'm late in the service. I mean, it's just the wind's blowing around and I'm people that never raise their hand or shouting out there. I don't know what's going on. But uh, the owner of that farm called me. He said, hey, 
Pastor, he said, uh, wanted you to know, he goes, we got a problem with people coming out here at night and jumping the fence. They park in your parking lot. And he said, they jump in the, over the fence and get some of those hemp plants. And he said, uh, and I said, none of the church members wasn't, you know, <laughs> I want to be sure. But he said that we have put up a hot wire. He goes, all around the fence that goes around your property. He goes, that thing is on. Please announce that. Because if anybody touches it, they're going to get jolted. So I told him, I said, hey, everybody, all you with the little kids, Keep the kids away. Don't go by the fence. I said, that, that wire out there is hot. So I go out to the truck that afternoon and I look out for the, they've never been around that fence, but I see six or seven little boys. And they're discussing things. Suppose it's on. A pastor said it was on. Somebody get a blade of grass. Why is it that as soon as God says, don't touch this, don't eat this, don't do this, that we go right up to it. And, it's, and then the devil moves alongside with his hands in his pocket. And he says, hey, now listen, I don't understand. God, I know he's a good God, but for whatever reason, he doesn't want you touching this or doing this. But you know, this wouldn't hurt anything. I mean, after all, young man, you love her. They don't understand. Preacher doesn't understand and God doesn't understand. That commandment is for somebody else. You love this young lady and, 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 and what better way than to break God's laws to prove it to her? I'm telling people all the time, young people, listen. Hey, God, God has given you rules and regulations not to antagonize and, and, and make your life a, a wreck and miserable, but it's because he says, I've got some plans for you and I've got a good life for you and I want to keep you back from some things. But the devil says, why do you have to wait? Why can't you just go ahead and do what you want to do? Man, this God is so stuffy. I mean, I, I told people before, I said, listen, uh, uh, young people in this day and age we're living, it's like fornication has just become okay. Uh, you know, that it doesn't matter. and People shack up and do all these things. Uh, and, and here's the point. Uh, God is the one that created the marriage act. That's not a devil. That devil didn't invent that. That's a creation of God. And he says, I want, I want to be a blessing and I want you to get a blessing, but you got to do it within the bonds and the bounds that I have laid out. It's kind of like uh, we've got in our house down in the basement, we've got a Ashley wood burning stove and it's a blessing. You can stuff that thing full of wood in the winter and man, it's hot and it blows the air all through the duct work in the house. It's great. That fire, that heat is a blessing when it's contained inside that stove. That fire gets outside that stove and it's going to burn the house down around everybody. People can die. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And he always puts his hand, the tempter does, over top that verse and says, yeah, but what about right now? And he comes and he says, God is keeping something back from you. There's something that he, I don't know why he wants to keep things. I thought he was a good God. Why not just do what you want to do? He is a liar. He lies to us about sin and he lies to us about the consequences. And therefore people's lives are wrecked. And there's confusion and chaos like we've never seen. And there's times people come in and as a pastor, you say, I don't know how to put this thing back together. Because things have exploded. Why? Because of sin. So he lies to us about sin and he brings temptation. And when a Christian, I, I guess I'm still with the right crowd. You still believe that Christians can, can fall prey 
to doing the wrong thing. I mean, I think that's true because I read in Romans 6 where it says, what shall we say? Shall we continue in sin? Well, God forbid, but nevertheless, he goes on talking to Christians saying, if you serve sin, so that means that it's possible for a Christian to serve sin. When do they serve sin? When they believe the tempter's lies. Now, let me be quick. Let me clear up Flip Wilson's theology. The devil does, he has no power to make you do anything. But if he gets in up here, then he can affect your behavior. You choose to sin when you sin. Uh, I heard uh, an old message years ago. Brother Wood said this. He said, people talk about falling into sin. He goes, nobody falls into it. They leap. They dive into it. But I'll tell you what, after you believe his lie about temptation, then he's got another deceptive ministry. Then that sucker turns on you and begins to accuse you now. His ministry of not just temptation, lying about sin and its consequences, but now he's going to bring accusation. That's what he is. In Revelation chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, it says that he accused the brethren before God day and night. So he's a great accuser. And listen, he, he accuses us before God, but what does he do? He comes and he accuses you. You know as well as I do when you have done the thing that you know was not right to do. The first thing he comes to is he says, you've got to be the sorriest Christian that has ever lived. Nobody at that church would even let you walk in if they knew how vile you are. You, know, you realize what a, a joke you are? Are you even saved and you're sitting there and you're listening to his lies. So the temptation, that's the lie about sin. But the accusation, that's the lie about your standing with God. You know something It's amazing to me, and I, I, don't, I don't get no controversy started. There's a song. I sing it out loud, and I, I, we sing it at church. We probably, you probably sing it here. They'll sing that song, Only a Sinner Saved by Grace. That's a great song. But you know something? I ain't a sinner no more. Now, time out here. I didn't say I didn't struggle with sin. I'm talking about in Christ, I am called a saint. I asked, I was preaching here not long ago at church, and we, we had a, a bunch of people at the beginning that asked a question. How many of you know you've been born again? Boy, the hands are going around. People trusted Christ. In that message, I, I set them up. And I, and I said, how many of you know that you were a sinner when you came to God? Man, the hand straight to the ceiling. I mean, right across from the right to the left, left to the right. People's hands are up. A few minutes later, and I didn't tell them what was coming. I said, how many of you know? And you'd put your hand up. I'm a saint of God. Only half the hands went up, and they went up like this. And I know what people are thinking. A man came to me. He said, bro, I'll talk. He said, that seems so arrogant to do that. I said, it's never arrogant to believe what God says. Now, I'm not going to go around to people and say, hey, I'd like to witness to you. Hey, I'm a saint. <laughs> I didn't say that. As someone said, I'm talking about battling lies with the truth and defeating the liar <laughs> with the truth of the, from the God who cannot lie. 
And so after you succumb to the temptation and you willfully do that thing that you know is wrong, now the, that liar turns and he says, you're terrible. Nobody's ever been like you. Uh, and he begins to, to accuse you and, and run you down and say, just forget it. You're never going to be victorious. You're never going to be useful to God. God is sick of this. God is sick of you. And I'm telling you, I know what you've done. And you're sorry. You're sinful. You're just like you always have been. That's, an, that's the accuser. Now, let me be quick to say this. You say, yeah, I tell you, that's not right. Uh, that uh, the devil makes us feel guilty. Now, I didn't say that. Preachers can make you feel guilty. The word of God can make you feel guilty. Guilt is a good thing if it's dealt with properly. Guilt is to the spirit or the soul like pain is to the body. Let you know something's wrong. But see, the devil is an accuser. And he's not interested in righteousness. He's not accusing you, making you feel guilty because he wants you to get right with God. Preaching will make you feel guilty, but it'll open the door and say, come and get right. Here's the answer to deal with that guilt and to get that thing taken care of. The devil doesn't care nothing about you getting right. He wants to use guilt to pound you into the ground face first and put his foot on your neck and keep you there. And there's plenty of people like that. And they listen and they believe his mocking accusations. You say, well, preacher, how can you tell when it's the accuser versus the Holy Ghost? And I think that this probably would be the best way to describe that situation is the fact that when he is accusing it, kind of like picture this, picture you being in this building alone and sitting on the front pew. And the devil comes in and you have, uh, you have fallen, you have uh, been tempted and you have chosen to sin against light and love and the law of God. And the devil comes in and he spreads it all out in front of you and says, just look at you, just look at this, what you've done. And what he does then is he just, he puts you as low as he can get you. And then he goes to the back doors and he bars the doors and he sets the building on fire and lets you burn up there if you will with depression and discouragement and I can't ever do better. But the Holy Ghost will come in and he'll sit down beside you. And he'll say, yes, this right here is, is wrong. And you know it's wrong because the word of God says it's wrong and you believe the word of God. Now over my shoulder is an exit. And if you'll come with me, we'll get up out of here and we'll walk out of here together and we won't come back here. In other words, he'll give you some hope and he'll give you an exit door. And yes, he'll say, yeah, this is wrong. This, you're guilty of this. But the Bible says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now listen, that verse is a verse that has to be laid hold. That's true. But you got to lay hold of that by faith, not by feelings. Because your feelings are deceiving. And boy, if you go by feelings and emotions, He's going to have a field day with you. But the truth of it, and by the way, confession in 1 John chapter 1 doesn't say ask for forgiveness or tell him you're sorry. And I'm not against either one of those. But I'm just telling you what the passage says. It says confess it. In other words, tell me what you did. Take the word of God and lay it out and say, God, that verse right there describes what I'm guilty of, that I did this and I want to be clean. And listen, he said, if you'll confess it, if you'll judge it, just say, I did it. Open up the gym bag, empty it out, and say, there it is. Own it, man. Tell him what you've done. 
Say, I'm, I'm not hiding anything. Your eyes can see it all, but I can't stand this burden of guilt. I am guilty, but I know that Christ died for me. You meet the accuser. You meet the adversary with the advocate. The Bible says we have an advocate. Amen. Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is an advocate. He is a lawyer. He's the one that steps in and says, I have paid for this. They sang a song tonight that talked about the wounds that plead for us. Past sins, present sins, and possible sins. It's all covered. I just want my conscience clear, and I want fellowship with my heavenly Father. So when I feel guilt, uh, the devil will come and say, don't try again. You cannot do this. You're a sorry rascal. Just agree with him. And say, but you have to take it up with my advocate. Why? Because the Bible says, amen, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again. He's the one that settled the score. And if you've trusted him, you have a living advocate, a living representative. And there's no reason to stay down because you have failed with the besetting sin yet again. But how many Christians do you know that they have... They've got some pattern in their life, some habitual sin, and they're ashamed of it. And the reason you're ashamed is because you have been born again. You weren't ashamed of your sin when you were lost. The scripture says in Romans 6, he goes, what fruit had ye in those things of which ye are now ashamed? That's a sign of being born again. You're ashamed of what you've done, what you do, what you succumb to. But listen, don't let the devil keep you down. If you do, he's won the victory. He got in your head and accused you. And you thought, well, I've crossed the line. I can't go back over. And God's through with me. And I can't believe that there's that much grace. I hope that I'll get to heaven someday and he can clean me up and I'll be victorious then. But never now. He got in your head. Accusations. That's his ministry. And can I tell you something? I've told, I don't know, I can't remember if I told the story here. I won't give the whole details, but many of you have heard uh, that situation I had a few years ago where I forgot a handgun in my bag that I took to the Nashville airport. That's not, that doesn't make, that doesn't end well anywhere. And uh, that was, I was on my way to a meeting in Houston and I, I put my bag, my, my bag, my wife always gets on me. She goes, why don't you tell them that I asked you three times if you had any firearms in your bag? Does that make you feel better? I, I announced it three times. My wife asked me and I don't, I don't remember her asking me. Okay. I really don't. She said, I asked you, do you have any guns? I'm like, what idiot takes guns into an airport? Go on, go get the gun. But I had a pistol in there. And when you take a pistol into prohibited areas, you're guilty of breaking the law and you get arrested. Revival meeting or no revival meeting, amen? You have the right to remain silent. I said, you know, you're talking to a Baptist preacher. I could have Baptist preacher stay silent, but here's something I've never told much about that story and I'll interject it right here. When I went down there, the man that set my court date up, I was able to get on the plane and get to the meeting, but the man that set my court date up, he said, hey, this kind of stuff with, with people that carry, he said, this happens a lot. He says, don't even worry about getting a lawyer. Just come and tell them what happened. He goes, they'll throw it out of court. And I took his advice. Bad advice. <laughs> my first court date was in July. And so I was sitting back there. I'm waiting and waiting. And I finally walked up and I said, I've been here a couple hours. I'm supposed to have a hearing today. And the lady's going through. She's like, yeah, we're going to get to you. She says, Mr. Altomp. She goes, where's your, where's your representation? I said, well, I was told I didn't need a lawyer, that this is pretty common. She says, are you kidding me? 
I was like, nah. She's like, you need to get a lawyer. She goes, I'm going to reschedule this because you don't want to go in front of the judge today without a lawyer. And thank God for her. She was gracious. She rescheduled me. And then I came with a, an advocate, a mediator. Hallelujah. So the thing is, is the accusations were true, but I had a mediator. And I walked out of there and went home. Hallelujah. Here's, here's the point. We're talking about the devil's ministry. And his ministry is a ministry of deception. He lies to us about sin. That's temptation. And then when we fall for his lies about the sin, he comes to us immediately. And he has a ministry of accusation. And he hammers on us. Pastor Roger Hoots from down in New Caney, Texas said something I wrote down too many times. Once we've failed and we've fallen, the devil gets in people's heads. And you know what? People are all the time lamenting in Baptist churches. They're lamenting something they did in the past. I'm going to tell you something. If you've dealt with it, get up and move on. You say, why do you say that? Because here's the thing that Brother Hoots always says that I wrote down. He says, your past is a classroom, never a living room. The past is, learn from it. Don't live there. The devil would love for you to live there. He'll help you live there. He'll accuse you continually. Then I'll say this, thirdly, his ministry of deception is not just in temptation and in accusation, but also in our perception of God the Father. You say, what do you mean? I mean this, some of you, you've been right with me all the way up through all of this that I've been talking about saying, that's right, to sin, you have a besetting sin, we gotta lay that aside and we get that clean by, uh, by confessing to our heavenly father and going through Jesus Christ and getting clean and going on in victory. But the problem is this, sometimes when we go to bow the knee to get things fixed, the devil's next tactic is to lie about God. Now, now that's fine, I, I know you're saved, by the blood of Christ, that's good. But listen to me, you, the, the father has never seen such a failure in one of his children. He's fed up and he doesn't want you coming back and talking to him about this. And he begins to say, okay, I can't accuse you anymore because you're going to try to, but I can tell you that the father is not interested in hearing. Listen, Satan's deceptive ministry continues with lies about your father. I never liked people talking about my dad. I had a, an unwritten rule in school. You make fun of my dad, I'm punching you in the nose. Amen. I just did. I wanted to stick up for my dad. I got in a couple fights. because My dad was a janitor at that school, and I thought the first kid that makes fun of my dad picking up their trash, I'm punching him in the nose. Because I love my dad. You ain't going to make a, a joke out of him. Well, you know what? When the devil comes and starts talking trash about our father, why do we believe him? You say, well, he doesn't talk trash. Yeah, he does. He slanders God. Do you remember in the garden what he did? He came along to two people who had everything. Think about it. They had sustenance. They had fellowship in the garden, in the cool of the day. They had work to do. They had, I mean, they, they were totally in love. It was a perfect environment. It wasn't like what we've come to know and live in in a fallen world. They were living in a perfect garden, a paradise. And this one day a stranger shows up and amazingly, people, uh, Eve was deceived and, and he began to say, yeah, I know what he said, but he's keeping something back from you. That's a slander. Imagine, you imagine having someone come into your home that you provided their meals, you provided fellowship for them, you provided a place for them to stay, you took care of them. And one day when you were out of the house, a stranger knocks on the door and begins to run you down to them and they believe it. That's what went on in Genesis 3. God had been nothing but good to them. 
And yet the devil says, nah, I don't think he's being 100% honest about what's going on if you eat that. He just knows you'd be as big a shot as he is if you ate that. Just go ahead and eat. It's the problem. You're going to be as God's. He lies about God. Well, the moment you get ready to get right, maybe you've confessed something a thousand times before. The devil will kneel right down next to you in your prayer and say, well, you may get clean. You may be going to heaven, but the father's fed up. He's not interested in you coming back. He's sick of this. He's sick of it. Don't let the devil lie to you about your father. What if the prodigal son had believed that his father didn't want to see him. You know what that boy did? It says he came to himself. We've heard it preached a million times and I love it. I never get tired of hearing that stuff. It says he's down there and he says, you know what? My father's servants and they are living better at my father's house. He says, as a servant than I am down here. He says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get up and I'm going to own this mess that I've made. I'm going back to my father. It's a picture of God the Father. And, we, and I'm going to say a couple things. Listen, people, uh, this victim mentality that has taken over the country. We got kids learning how to be victims. My, I'm in therapy. I'm taking pills because my parents didn't take me on three vacations every year. And I mean, I'm messed up in the head because I mean, no, you, you were blessed to be born in this country that's still living on the blessings that were earned for us hundreds of years ago. And, and I'll tell you something, when that boy left the, the house, the father did not enable him to stay in the far country. Had he sent him 200 bucks the week before, he might not have got up and come home. You better mark that nugget down. Mamas keep boys in the far country a lot longer because they send money to them to continue in their sin. They don't need a love offering when they're in the, amen. They need to get down to the hog trough and smell, amen, as Brother Danny Farley says, a little sow slobber salad. That'll bring you to yourself. But that boy didn't get up saying, I don't, I think my dad's going to kick me out. No, he was humble in the fact that I'll take the lowest place when I get back. But he's coming. Here's the thing. While the father didn't send him any love offerings to extend his time in the far country. Nevertheless, you know the story. While he was yet a great way off. That's the truth. What, what do we, how do we know he was a great way off? The Bible says he was. How do we know the father was looking for him? Because he saw him coming from a distance. And he ran to meet him fell upon his neck and wept. That's a picture of God the Father. He's not going to give you any money to spend in the far country. He's not going to let you, he's not going to enable you to stay there. But the moment you stand up and turn for home, he's coming to meet you. And the devil will say, the Father's through with you. You've wrecked it too many times. Just stay down here and don't go back. Your father's fed up. No, he's not. You know how you beat the lies of the devil? You, you defeat the lies of the devil and his deceptive ministry by laying hold of the truth up here in your mind and, and nailing it down and saying, no, here's what the truth is. The truth is sin, amen, gets me consequences I don't want. So I'm going to stay away from it. Well, when you succumb to it and you uh, uh, jump into it, amen, then the accuser comes. Well, how do you beat the accusations? You go to 1 John 1, 9. You go to 1 John 2, 1. You say, I'm going to lay hold of my advocate and I'm going to confess this thing to God. When, you come, when he comes and says, no, your father doesn't want to hear from you and tries to mess with you in your perception of God the Father, you get up and you go back knowing that, no, in the prodigal, he had blown everything, but the father still loved him. 
Because God's love's eternal. It's an everlasting love. It'll die when Jesus Christ dies again. And when he saw him a great way off, he ran and fell upon his neck. I've heard Dr. Adrian Rogers tell this story. It's just so good, I can't resist. He told of a, a preacher, and a, I believe it was a soldier back in World War II, and they were on a train together. And that preacher looked over and noticed that that soldier seemed troubled. And so he struck up a conversation, found out that the, I believe the young man was saved, if I recall the story correctly. But he was down. He says, what's got you down? He says, well, he says, my parents are both devout Christians. And he said, you know, he says, while I've been away, he says, I've really messed up bad. He says, I've done things I never thought I would ever do. And my parents know about it. And he says, I'm ashamed to see him. And I wrote him a letter. Now, they're on a train heading to his hometown. Because I wrote him a letter and told him I was sorry and that I would like to come home. I want to change my life. But he says, I would understand if they never wanted to see me again because of the things I've done. And he said, I told my dad, he goes, we, the train goes right past the farm that my parents own. And he goes, there's some big oak trees out there by the tracks. As we go by, I told dad, if, if you want me, if it's okay for me to come home and see you, please take a white handkerchief and hang it in the tree as the train goes by. And I can look out the window and know that it'd be okay for me to come home. He goes, if there's no handkerchief there, dad doesn't want me to come. And he says, preacher, he says, in about 10 minutes, we're going to be passing my parents' farm. And he says, I'm afraid to look out the window. He said, would you tell me when we get there, I'll tell you when we're approaching the place, would you look out of the window and tell me what you see? And so sure enough, as they come around the curve, he says, we're coming up to it. He said, can you see the trees? He said, yes, son, I see. He says, what do you see on the trees? He says, well, I don't see a hanky. That boy began to weep and he says, I see strips of bed sheet that's been torn. He says, there are white flags in that tree. He goes all over the place. And he said, he looked at it, he goes, and there's people standing there. He looked out, his mom and his dad are standing there waving handkerchiefs. And that boy rejoiced. And you say, what's the point? The point is, when you get serious and you want to do business, God is attracted, listen, to humility and honesty. And there's no reason to sit here tonight defeated in sin, putting on a veneer, going, well, I'm going to Bible conference, but I feel like God's a thousand miles away. Well, I'll tell you what you do. If you're going to stay a thousand miles away, the only way you'll stay a thousand miles away is if you believe what the devil has stuffed into your head. He's a liar. He's a father of it. And he wants to keep you away from God and the love of God and the mercy of God. You know what you do tonight? You say, I'm through believing his lies. You don't even realize you believed them. You thought those were your own thoughts. But he suggests things to your mind and you believe it and you stay down, you stay low, you stay in bondage. Why? Because you won't believe the truth. So why not tonight just stand up and come down here and say, God, you know what I've been doing. You know where I've been. You know how I've failed. You know what I've messed up, but I'm coming because you're just like the prodigal's father. You're the same way, but better. And I'm hidden away in Christ and the blood of Christ can cleanse me and I can get up and begin to put the pieces back together. I'm not going to believe the lies that the devil's got for me. Because the way you defeat error is with the truth. Those people, and I'll close right here in 2 Timothy 2 that the pastor is told that he must be gentle with. He says the servant of the Lord, that's talking about the pastor, the leader of that church, must not strive but be gentle unto all men apt to teach, patient, in meekness, listen, instructing those that oppose themselves. 
We got people in our churches that oppose themselves. And it says, if God peradventure will give them repentance to what? To the acknowledging of the truth. Because Jesus said, the truth shall make you free. And if the son, he is the truth. And if the son shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. And it says that they, if they'll acknowledge the truth, they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. Say, how can I keep from being taken captive? Acknowledge the truth. Believe the truth over believing the devil's lies. That's the devil's ministry to keep you defeated through lying to you. Quit believing what he's got to say. Quit listening to him. 